0: There's a party going on. It's a celebration. Oh, okay. oh, I might have pulled some cool in the gang on you. But there's a party in heaven because we had a young lady give her heart to the Lord in worship. Hallelujah. Amen. I'd like to introduce you uh, to her. Some of you may know her, but some of you may not. But Raven, would you be kind enough just to stand? Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Salvation is the greatest miracle of all. Amen. 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 Salvation is the greatest miracle of all. And I believe in miracles. And also what happens when salvation happens, there's actually an advancing or an increasing of the kingdom. We're taking territory. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Children, I know I I, I see uh, Charlene back there, patiently looking at me, politely looking at children. You may go to Sunday school. Hallelujah! We also have one other praise, uh, praise and thanksgiving. Is it Elizabeth? Is that right? Would you like to come up and just? She asked me if she could say something before the service, and uh, so I asked her what it was. And I think this is awesome. This this is an amazing testimony, and I'm so glad that you wanted to share. So um, on Friday, um, I couldn't Friday morning I couldn't sleep because I had to get up at 3:30 and be at school by 4:20 because I had a rugby tournament in Victoria. And so I was really excited but also nervous. And so all of a sudden I felt the urge to throw up. So then I w- rushed to the bathroom and I started throwing up really badly. And then I, um, I put my hands together and went on my knees and started praying to God. And then all of this, and I asked him to heal me. And for whatever reason, I was throwing up for it to vanish and no longer be a slave to fear. And then, uh, and then, um, within three seconds, I started, I stopped throwing up and I felt so much better. Awesome. Give me five. All right. Amen. We need to teach this to our children. Because they receive it a whole lot easier than you and I do. (laughs) If I can be honest with you. Kids, you tell them the word of God and they just say, fine. Okay. You tell an adult and they'll go, well, what about? Well, what about this? Hallelujah. Anybody here catch... A zuzu now, Azusa, a zuzu, a zuzu, huzu in the zoo. Um, I watched that yesterday, off and on as I was preparing, and um, I just could sense a stirring in my spirit. And I, I will often get that during the week, but there was an anticipation like few other days that I've had. And I have anticipation, but I know, and I don't think God is finished now. Um, I'm going to preach you an amazing sermon. Okay, there's more laughs than there is amens. Come on. I'm going to preach you the best sermon I've ever preached. But I believe there's something that's happening, and I've, I've been watching this for about four or five months. There's something happening in the spirit, a revival that is happening, and I've seen little fires burning, especially in Alberta. I've seen it in Saskatchewan, I've uh, Winnipeg, I've seen it in uh, Quebec. I know there's something happening in Seattle, just a couple and a half, two and a half hours down the road. They came up to Maple Ridge this week. I know there's something happening in San Diego, and there are things that are happening in the spirit. And I believe God is getting ready for a harvest. And that harvest is going to be huge. And it's going to be exciting. And it's going to be messy diapers. Come on. We have newly new parents, and as much as they love their children, there's also work involved with that. But everyone that I say, would you trade it in, they look at me as if I'm stupid trade this child in for a sleepless night? Oh, I'll take, I'll, I'll take the sleepless night because I have a child. And I think we need to get ready for things to happen in the spirit world and salvations to happen that will actually be inconvenient. Come on. It's one thing when it's convenient. It's real easy when things are convenient, but are you ready to worship and praise God when it's inconvenient? When you're getting ready to do something and you get a phone call from your babe in Christ who is just a newly saved person and they're going, I'm in trouble, help me, what do I do about this? You can't just say, see you tomorrow. It's going to take something, but when you pour into that, you're going to see growth, you're going to see life, and it's going to begat. It's going to get another and another and another. So I was excited to hear Raven this morning, and I know there's more people that are getting touched by God. And I'm excited about it. And yesterday, as I was watching Azusa now, um, I just listened to the worship, and that took me places. Does, does, does anybody identify with that? To sit and watch a stadium, 50, 70, 100,000, I... I know they said at one point there was at least fifty thousand, and it was. There were moments, and you could just feel the presence of God and the power and the anointing through the worship time. And what was exciting when I watched it, it was all about Jesus. And I mean, and they were going for it, and they they were not ashamed. They were not. I mean, they were going for it, and it's like, oh Lord. So, as I was watching that, I was getting excited, and as you know, this last, whoops, this last little while, we've been talking about worship. And my sermon this morning, if I gave you a title for it, I would call it the expression of worship. And I want to show you from the scriptures some expressions of worship. And I want to highlight the word X, "ex," because every one of them, every one of my words and expression of worship starts with E-X. But I'd like to, to take some moments this morning, and I want to give you some teaching. It's going to be preaching, but hopefully I'm also giving you some teaching, some insight into what worship looks like. Worship is not just three songs. Worship is not just showing up at 1030 or hopefully 1025, staying here till 1215 or 1230. Worship is not just our time that we do Sunday morning. But worship is something that captures you and affects you every day of the week. Worship is not just something that we turn on or that we have a CD from Hillsong or a CD from Bethel or Jesus Culture or something else or my son who will be producing a CD one day and my daughter's. It's not just taking that CD, sticking it in there and spending time. Worship is you spending time with God. Has anybody here ever phoned a place such as a Visa or Rogers or Bell, and I I sure hope I don't get in trouble for saying this over the line, but have you ever phoned a place and you get a telephone tree? And parlez-vous français? If you speak French, press 2. That's about all the French I know. And it's like, no, speak English. And press 1. And then if this is regarding your account balance, press 3. And if you'd like to talk to somebody with the last name that starts with A, press 4. And if it starts with B, and they have this telephone tree, and by the time you're done, you come out, and you're still talking to somebody, but they can't answer your question. And, And you spend 45 minutes worshiping, praising God, That was a joke. You get to the end of this telephone tree, and you get a person from India. And they answer your phone. And they say, can I help you? And you say, well, I got this problem. And they can't have you ever... Anybody ever experienced a telephone tree, and it hasn't been a good experience? Worship is direct to God. He doesn't say if your last name is this, press one. He doesn't say, if you're looking for G-O-D, press two. He doesn't say, if this... He just says, call on me and I will answer you. And there's an aspect of worship that is a direct connection with God our Savior. It isn't... Well, it's going... It's not going through Pastor Nelson. It's not going through... Myself, it's not going through a brother or a sister or your mom and dad. It is direct you with God. And there's an amazing thing with worship. As we worship, we have direct access to the king of kings. Direct. Think about that. Think about that. With all the technology that we have in this world, we cannot seem to make one phone call and get the person that we want, and yet, with all the technology in this world, I can go on my knees, I can lift my hands up, and I can say, help, and I get him immediately. And there's something powerful that happens in worship. Oh, I love hearing kids say amen. Worship is an alignment. When you worship, you align yourself with whoever you're worshiping. And when you're worshiping the king, you align with the king. If you're worshiping something else, you know what happens? You line up with that. If it's your career, you know what? Everything bows down to your career. I can't go to church Sunday because I worked six days last week and I'm exhausted. Uh, wrong answer. Come on. If worship is your one priority, you know what? I can, I've worked six days a week. I've worked 70, 80. I've even put in a few weeks where I put in 100 hours a week. I would not stop coming to the house of God. If you're worshiping a vehicle, you say, oh, come on. People worship their vehicles and they will actually do things with their vehicles on Sunday morning that they wouldn't do with their savior on Sunday morning called cruising i'm going out cruise can we not worship our king and there's are things so whatever you worship you align to and actually whatever you worship you become a slave to if you're worshiping your career you will become a slave to your career if you are worshiping relationships you will become a slave to pleasing people or pleasing this individual. But when you, become, when you worship the king of kings, you become a slave to him. It's alignment. Worship is focus. You can't worship and not be focused because when you worship, what happens is you put something in front of you and you say, I will worship this. I will honor this. I will bow before this because that's what the word worship means. This week, last week, I told you that in the Greek, the word actually referred to um, a dog coming and licking your hands. This week, I experienced my dog worshiping me. And you know what they do? All they want to do is make me happy. I mean, the thing drives me crazy. I sit down, and he comes about, or she comes about three feet in front of me, and then all she does is just look at you. She just looks at you. Huh. Do we do that with our savior? Hmm. I'll let you think about that one for a minute. Worship shifts the atmosphere. Did anybody experience an atmospheric shift this morning? Did anybody here experience something um and it might have happened the moment you walked in the door, it might have happened actually when you got out of your vehicle, Uh, but I believe when you came here this morning, not just during worship, but I believe ahead of time, there was a shift in the atmosphere because there was worship on our minds. Pastor Nelson, I was ready to, I was ready to pounce on Pastor Nelson this morning in a good way, (laughs) laying my hands on him. Pastor Nelson, Pastor Louise, I'm speaking rest over you. Supernatural rest. You're going to rest and you're going to wake up so refreshed you're going to think, hey, I'm 45 again. No, you're not, but you're going to feel like it. But I'm speaking rest over you. We need to take care of our spiritual parents. If you don't pray for Pastor Nelson and Louise every day, I'm going to ask you to. We need to hold them up. Their heart, their passion is for you, for the kingdom. And we need to honor, and today I honor you, Pastor Nelson, Pastor Louise, for what you have poured into this body. And today I want to pour that back into you. I don't think I can shake his hand because he might fall down. And I don't know if that's him or me, but worship. I also want to honor my parents who are here. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for what you've poured into me and all your children. Honor. Worship is honor. Do you know what happens when I do that? And I'm not trying to make a show of this, but do you know what happens when you honor somebody? You're worshiping them, you're placing them, honoring them, recognizing reverence. Do you know what? I could ask either one of my parents, either set of my parents, and I could probably get like a check with a few zeros behind it. Now, they might do it quickly and and happily um, because maybe they'd say they'd give me one from an account without the, the zeros in it, but... When you honor, you actually, there's a reciprocating action that happens. And I'm not talking about manipulating, because you cannot manipulate God. But I'm talking about coming before him, honoring him, and worshiping him, and all of a sudden, things shift, things change, and he delights in giving his kids gifts. I mean, it blows my mind. I come to worship you, and he turns around, and he goes... And then he just says, what do you want? There's passages where he says, ask of me anything. Psalms, it says, ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for an inheritance. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. And when we come into worship, it opens up access to the treasuries of the king. Worship is powerful. I would suggest to you that worship is not a lifestyle. Worship is life. Sometimes we take lifestyle, and I understand people using that term, but sometimes what we do is we say, well, when I'm in church, my lifestyle is this. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and God help me on Friday, my lifestyle is work. No, my lifestyle is worship. My life is worship. Everything I do comes out of my relationship and my worship with my king. I was talking to a young man this morning, and I said to him, we talk about living a balanced life. My life is so unbalanced, you would not believe it. It's everything for the king. It's everything. I, don't, I had some people that wanted me as part of their spiritual compartment and they were trying to balance their life my life is so out of balance i love it it's the king it's the king it's the king it's the savior i worship him i don't worship everything else I, my my body is his temple so when i worship him i will do things that will balance my life but he is the one who rules my life i don't give him just 10% i don't just give him well whatever i feel like he gets everything Worship is like that. Worship isn't just the musicians and the songs that we worship to. Worship is a life. It is my life. It's everything I do. Worship is the air that I breathe. Worship is the way that I walk. Worship is the way that I love my wife. Worship is the way that I raise my children. Everything I do when I worked for my boss, worship was how I treated my boss. Because everything I did, I did as unto the Lord. Worship affects every single fiber of your body every single day of the week. Don't just say, well, we're going to worship now. No, you should have been worshiping when you woke up. Can you imagine worshiping in your dreams? Come on. I know, I like to push the envelope. I like to think outside the box. Worship arranges priorities. It changes perspective. Worship brings God into the conversation. I mean, this is just my preamble. Worship is the activity of heaven. We sang this morning when heaven touched earth, and I could see in my mind and in my spirit, I could see heaven touching earth. And do you think it's just a little gentle thing? Man. When God touches something, it just shakes. It's like... I think we have watered down worship. We've watered down relationship with Christ. We've watered down Jesus so that all he, he's powerless. No, he is the most powerful being in the world, the person. In one act, one act, he took everything from the past Every sin from the past and every sin to the future. And in one act, he said, it is finished, it is done, I paid it all. There's nobody else, nobody else that can claim that. Nobody comes close. Worship, oh, I like this one. Think about this one. Worship actually alters or changes protocol. I would suggest to you worship is protocol. But there is an aspect of Christian living that we see in the Word of God, and I believe it, that it it says come before him in this way and do this and that. But what happens when you come with an attitude of worship, you know what? You get right to the Father's heart, and all of a sudden he goes, you know what, I just want to bless him. I just want to take care of him. I just want to give him what he's asking for. Well, what about this? What about that? What about No, he's worshiping. And you say, is that true? Well, let me give you a picture. I've got four children. They have learned, because they listen to my sermons, but they have learned how to get some stuff from dad that breaks protocol. Because I say, they need to do this, they need to do that, they need to wash this, they need to take care. I mean, they got to take care of all my clothes, they've got to wash my laundry, they've got to clean up the house. I'm painting, I'm, I, oh, I'm planting vision into them. they got to do the laundry, they got to do the dishes, they gotta, They got to have a good attitude. They can't. But I have all these expectations, and you know what they do? I'm on the road and they go, Dad, DQ sounds nice, you're so awesome, thank you. And you know what? They get Dairy Queen without doing everything else. (laughs) Text me tonight and I'll tell you what's happening. But when you worship, what happens is you have direct access to the Savior, to the King. And all of a sudden, some of those things, some of those things that used to be part of the order or the process, he just bypasses and he says, no, I'm going to give it to you. And I'll show you in Scripture. In Scripture, Jesus was work, walking around, and this lady who was not an Israelite comes to him and says, Would you heal me? And he says, No, you're not of the children of Israel. He says, You're a dog. Like, he insulted her. And she said, Yeah, but dogs eat what the crumbs from the table that fall onto the floor. And what she did was she exercised faith, and she worshipped the king, and he said, Ah, I've never seen faith like that in Israel. You're going to get your desire. Can you imagine worshiping the king and all of a sudden some of those things that you thought were this or that or six steps this way, three steps that way, all of a sudden God in his might and in his power and in his ability grants you. Worship alters. Moses had a process and he had the temple the tabernacle of Moses, and it was built and constructed the way God told Moses to. Think about this. God told Moses, I want you to have a temple, and I want you to build it in this way, so that I will come and I will meet with you. And then through the course of the history of Israel, and the The judges of Israel, after they got into the Promised Land, some of the other nations came and started to bother the Israelites, and the Philistines actually took the Ark of the Covenant. And David has the opportunity to get the Ark back. And they bring it back, and I'll go to these verses later, but right now I just want you to see how worship changes protocol. They brought it back, And David didn't build the elaborate temple. He had a tent. And he put it in the tent. But he understood something about worship. And he had people worshiping 24-7. And all of a sudden, things changed. And God honored that. Whereas in times past, it was the high priest. David had a different order of the priestly. And it was through worship that the protocol shifted and God gave access. That's why, a funny little thing, but if you ever noticed when you buy a New Testament Bible, quite often you'll get the Psalms or the Proverbs in there because some people, some theologians refer to the Psalms as actually New Testament teaching. There's an aspect of worship that is in the Psalms hundreds of years before Christ that is actually a picture of a relationship of worship that is 24-7 now. David understood that. He had this amazing understanding of worshiping the king and honoring the king that he actually broke the protocol and God honored him and God poured it out on him and God visited him. God established a covenant with David. He said, out of your line, the king's going to come the Savior. Worship When we understand, when you come to worship Sunday morning, the protocol might be, you know what, I made a mistake this week, and yes, you probably did. I think we all do. And I spoke a little too, I hit like 18 decibels when I talked to my wife, and I should have only been at 15 or below. And so I made a mistake, and I was a little too loud, this. Or I got upset with a driver, and we come to, and when we come to worship, and I'm saying we deal with those things, we repent of those things, but there's something that happens in worship that he just comes and he just We experienced that this morning. So I've said all that to give you four aspects of worship. The first thing I want you to see are four experiences of worship. First thing I want you to see is worship is extravagant. Worship is extravagant. It is not ho-hum. It's not just run-of-the-mill. It's extravagant. When we worship, we worship with everything we got. As an athlete would say, I put it on the table. I left it on the field. I gave everything. That's what worship is. It's extravagant. I'd like to see you to see a couple verses about that. If you were to look in Matthew 26, and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to refer to it. But in Matthew 26, verses 6 to 12, is the story of a lady And Jesus is at Simon the leper's house, not Simon the apostle, but a gentleman called Simon the leper. Uh, Sometimes when the Holy Spirit gets on me, I do little funny things with my tongue. Simon the leper. And he's there at Simon the leper's house, and this lady finds out in Matthew 26. And she comes with an alabaster container or vial, which alabaster was like marble or special stone. And she poured out the whole thing over Jesus' head. She was extravagant. Have you ever come to worship and you say, well, I'm just going to give God a little bit. She came. And in fact, it says that in, in the version that I was reading, it says that she learned that he was there. It's almost as if she didn't plan on it ahead of time. But just in that moment, she learned that he was there and she grabbed her alabaster box full of perfume and she went and she poured it out on his head. And actually, in one of the verses, I believe it's in verse 8, the disciples said, why this waste? Extravagance is wastefulness. Extravagant goes beyond what is required. And it gets into the realm of being a waste. It gets to being in the realm of, you know what we could have done with that? Do you know what we could have done with that? Why did you spend that much when you only had to give this much? And extravagant goes beyond And it gets into the realm of crazy money. It gets into the realm of crazy response. It gets into the realm of, like, unbelievable action. Extravagance, worship, she gave, and some people say that that could have been up to a year's salary. I won't even give you my my spray that lasts me for three months. I'm not even going to give you a couple shots of that. It's like, no, that's mine. She said, alabaster box, Jesus, he deserves it, and she poured it out on him. Can you imagine? Our worship this morning, I believe it was extravagant. It was giving. It was giving everything. That's why... I implored you. That's why my daughter said, come forward. It's not just so that you just come and fill this place. No, it's an aspect of extravagance. It's an aspect of getting out beyond myself. It's an aspect of doing something that's almost ridiculous. I actually ran on the spot this morning when he said, I'm running after you. I figured, how else am I going to get there? (laughs) I've watched worship teams, and they're singing that song, and they're running on the stage. I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to make a fool for my king. I'm extravagant. I want to be extravagant. I'll give you a couple words that you can associate with the word extravagant indulgence, lack of restraint. Have you ever met somebody who's extravagant and it just drives you crazy? It's like, Oh, man, why can't they just do what everybody else does? But I come in, and I say hi, and they come in, and they go, oh, it takes them 10 minutes just to welcome me, and it's like, they're so extravagant. It's like, oh, lack of restraint. That's our worship. That's our worship. Do you worship with restraint? Are you prepared to worship without restraint? I was jogging on the spot this morning. I've never done that before. I remember one time I sat in my chair and I had a certain, I wasn't feeling well. And I had a certain condition that bothered me for a while and God said, David, I want you to sit up and down seven times. The first time I did it, I was sitting there and I only did it a couple times. You know what? I didn't get healed. He gave me a second chance about a month later. And at that time I was sitting there. I'd gone from an associate to the lead. I guess I should have dealt with it then. And he said, David, will you stand up and sit down seven times? And I thought, this is crazy. I said, Okay. I sat down once. Okay, got up. After about three or four times, I'm kind of like, I gotta I gotta come up with a reason why I'm sitting down here. So I'm like, oh, I need to pick this up, and, then, and then. oh I need to put this down, or I need to. <laughs> come on, if you see somebody sitting up and down seven times in about one song, you're going to go, that guy's crazy. (laughs) I got healed. Sometimes God asks for things to be a little bit extravagant. He deserves it. Second thing I want you to see, worship is extravagant. Worship exaggerates. Have you ever exaggerated a story? No, no, children have never exaggerated a story. Not in my whole life have I ever embellished a story. Never, never, never. How big was the fish you caught? The only person that's honest is a person with one arm because he can go like this. Everybody else, they're never honest. They're always exaggerating. I caught a fish, and it wasn't this, you know, it was only this big. But, man, by the time I'm finished telling the story, this the the big, I mean, the fish took me an hour, and it was heavy and hard, and I sweated. No, we exaggerate. Do you know what? You can never exaggerate the goodness of God. Just try. Try to tell me how good God is. Try to tell me there's a limit or a topping point of his goodness. Try to tell me that there's some point it reaches and go. oh, no, he can't be any better than that. Try. If he's the first and the last, I would recommend and suggest to you that he's got everything covered. Try to exaggerate his goodness. He gave his life for me. He gave his life for you. There's roughly, what, 7 billion people on the earth at this moment in time, and he died for every single one of them. And this is just one generation. Try to exaggerate the goodness of God. You can't. So when you worship, what you're doing is you're not really exaggerating, but you're trying. God, you are good all the time, and then some like Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. You can't get beyond infinity, but man, when I worship God, it's like to the end of the earth, to the end of the universe, and then more. Can you exaggerate God? Can you exaggerate the goodness that he's done for you? Worship, man, it it just gets, it's more than enough. Words that happen with exaggerate. To go beyond normal proportions. Just try. Just try to go beyond normal proportions describing the king of kings. I dare you to sit down this week and describe the limit of God. And try to explain to me how you cannot help but exaggerate or try to exaggerate. You cannot exaggerate him. He's the king of kings. What's more than that? He's the savior of the world. He's the top. There's nobody, nobody, nobody better than him. I want you to see a passage in the scripture. If you were to write down a passage in Second Samuel chapter 6. And it's actually the whole chapter, but I got a couple verses I want you to see. This is when David actually goes to recover the the Ark of the Covenant. And he does it twice, because the first time he does it, a gentleman stops to try to steady the cart, a guy named Uzzah. And and God smites him, because he was doing something out of order. But even in that instance, if you read it, David took 30,000 special troops to go get the ark. <laughs> and do you know what? The Philistines wanted just to get rid of it. They didn't. They weren't looking like fighting. Um, if any of us have watched that video from hosting the presence, and, and Bill Johnson talks about how they actually got hemorrhoids, a pain in the butt. This whole tribe, this whole group, this whole city, and then they took, of, of Philistines. So then they took the, ark, and they brought it to another place, and they got the same conditions. They couldn't sit down in a sermon. then they got, and they brought, and finally, they're realizing, you know what, it's not what we ate, it's not any of our, it's the ark. Let's get rid of this thing before it actually kills us. So David did not need 30,000 special troops. He needed four people to carry it. What did he do? Man, He was so excited, he's exaggerating. He's going, we're going to get it. And if you read that whole chapter, there's verse after verse. He's singing, he's dancing, he's excited. It says in there, the second time, then he, they they have the issue, and then it stays at the house of Obed-Edom. And if you actually study that person, I've got a book from Daniel King on it. When he, Obed-Edom, everything he did, his house just prospered because the ark was there. Think about that. Think about that. God's presence. Everything he touched. And David got wind of it. And they said, hey, king. Something weird. But the ark, it it bothered our enemies. But it gets to the field of Odom, Edom. And like, that guy's stellar. Like, you would not believe. Everything he's doing. It's like. It's grown better, faster, bigger, stronger. David catches wind of it. He says, oh, I got to get the ark. And so he goes a second time and he brings it. He takes six steps. I have stepped, thank God for Fitbit. I've stepped 2,600 steps this morning. He took six steps and he says, We're going to offer a sacrifice. Come on. Can't you wait 10 steps? Can't you wait till he gets? No, he was exaggerating God's goodness. Can you imagine coming to worship and it's like, I, I can't sit still. No, I can't sit still normally, but when I'm in his presence, you know what? Something happens inside of me and it's like, I got to worship. I got I, I to gotta dance. I got to move my feet. I got I to gotta do something. And it's beyond normal proportions. A typical service would look like this, but this is not no typical service. This is a service to the king. This is worshiping the king of kings, and I will try to exaggerate his goodness in my worship. I'm going to bring 30,000 when four would do. I'm going to take six steps, and I'm going to go, God, you are so good. Why? Because he is good. Because he is awesome. Because he watches over me. Worship is about exaggerating. If you could, God, just try. Third thing I want you to see with an expression of worship is it's excessive. Have you ever done something excessive? Have you ever tipped somebody excessively, like 21%? You know, I mean, thank God the little device says 18%, 20%, and you go, okay, that's $6.13. I'm going to do $6.15. I'm going to be excessive. Yeah. With God, worship is excessive, it's over the top. This morning, our worship was excessive. This morning, our worship just wasn't, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It wasn't monotone. I mean, I actually yelled in my worship this morning. I actually yelled with all that was in me today. I was a little excessive. I ran on the spot twice. I was excessive. I was like beyond like, because he deserves it. If anybody deserves an excessiveness, it's him. It's not the Canucks. Or the BC Lions, sorry. Well, I know I'm in trouble there. But do you know when we go to those sports games, I've actually seen people paint their faces. That's a little excessive. Don't come next week painting, you Don't come with a T-shirt that goes, Hi, Pastor Dale, and then David. No, but have you ever seen a sports game? Man. That's excessive. You watch. Guys in the freezing cold wear no shirt just so they can paint a letter on their... T- and they don't even look good. I mean, it hits their belly and it distorts. I mean, it's, it's terrible. They're excessive. I've seen grown men. You want to see something excessive? You Google up the Los Angeles Raiders, a football team, and they've got pictures of grown men... Wearing spikes on their, like, these guys are my age. And they're dressed up in this costume that Halloween didn't even allow. And they've got this thing in this hat with a horn on it. And and they're cheering them on and they're giving everything they got. And for the full game, 60 minutes plus whatever stoppage time, they're standing on their feet yelling. And then we come to church. I love you, God. Oh, my hand's sore. Man, if I had my phone here, I'd be checking my status. Uh, I'm risen today. Uh, Oh, somebody liked my status. Oh, I know I'm stepping on toes, but good. I like the phone, but I don't like it in church service. I had to slide that one in. But is your worship excessive? Oh, if you're using it, it's okay. Oh, boy. I'm in trouble now. I use my iPad for notes. I'm not playing Scrabble or some other two dots or whatever. But is your worship excessive? I would suggest to you, when we worship the king, we give it everything we got. And by the way, he never loses He's got the cup. He's the champion. He doesn't miss the playoffs. In fact, he doesn't even need playoffs because everything bows before him right off the bat. He is worthy of any excessiveness I could try to give him. And I want to show you an example in the scripture of some excessiveness is more than is necessary. More than is necessary. It's lavish. In First Kings 8. I want to read you a couple verses. Verse 5, there were so many sheep and oxen, they couldn't be counted or numbered. This is when they're getting ready to sacrifice. There were so many sheep and so many oxen, they could not even number how many there were. That's a little Excessive. Why offer them when 10 will do, or one for every family, or one big one would do? No, I'm just going to offer them all. I'm going to, without number. Why do we have to measure our worship to God? Why do we have to say it's from 1030, and this is I'm guilty, to 1105, and then Pastor Daniel or Sean or somebody else, you better get up and transition because I need, why do we take worship and we put it in that space? Can we not get a little of excessive? I mean, can we go to 12:16? Oh, that was, oh, come on. Can we go to 12:16? I'm going to go for 17. David, when he prepared the, yeah, please don't put a clock up there that's digital. Uh, I'm going to pull my daughter. I, I can't just tell what the time is because it's round.) Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you which one, but I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Lord forgive me for I did not know what I just did. <laughs> David. In in first in Kings chapter eight, it says the priest could not stand or minister because of the Can you imagine worship being so intense and excessive? that Pastor Nelson, Pastor Daniel, myself, or somebody else gets gets up here and is like, I'm just making, uh, I can't do it. Because worship is just so strong. Wow. I'm glad it didn't happen this morning because I think I had a word for you. But in verse 63 of 1 Kings 8, they offered 22,000 oxen. I can't even count that high. Twenty-two thousand oxen. A hundred and twenty thousand sheep. I would suggest to you our worship could go up a notch or two. A hundred and twenty thousand sheep when one sheep will do. This was excessive. This is this is I believe we walked into a realm of that this morning. Okay, I'm, I'm not upset at all as I'm preaching. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to stir you up to give you a perspective of worshiping Him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who died for me. He gave His life for me so that I could have redemption, that I could go to heaven, that I could experience victory on earth, that I am just one of seven billion, and He died for me. He died for you. Uh, how can I be excessive when I worship that? How can I? And he goes, he got 63,000 or 22,000, 123,000. The brazen altar that Samuel bi- or S- Solomon built was 30 feet by 30 feet. Now, let me give you a little picture of what 30 feet is. That's 15 of these tiles. So if you started at that wall, 30 feet would bring you roughly to about here. 30 feet. And it was 30 feet square. So for simplicity, if I came to here, all these chairs, that's how big the brazen altar was. It was huge. 15 feet tall. And he says, you know what? It's too small. We're going to offer all of these in the front court, in front of the king. He just built the temple, designed it for a certain style of worship and an altar, and the first service they have in there, he goes, it's too small. You talk about excessive. What he built, and that was huge when you look at the size that that Moses built. The brazen altar was roughly maybe 10, 12 feet square. This thing was huge. And he goes, not good enough, guys. It's he deserves everything. He does, man, we're gonna concentrate this whole area for him. Wow. David, when he wanted to build the temple, this is an amazing story. He wanted to build the temple and then. The prophet, the first time, says yes, and then that night, the God speaks to the prophet and says, no, you tell him he can't because he's been a man of war or blood. So David prepares for his son to build the temple. This, that, that, uh, that amazes me. It's just Do you know what David prepared for Solomon? In today's, roughly, and I, I may not be perfect in my estimation, but gold is roughly $1,600 an ounce. You think of it in American dollars. Yeah, well, it's a lot of money per ounce, right? It's a lot. I googled it, and it was 1619 on Friday. If you took a look in the Bible, in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 14, it says there were 100,000 talents of gold. In today's monetary value, that would be one hundred and forty-four. Billion with a B dollars. 144 billion. And that's gold. Then he had more silver. It says the nails and the iron and the wood was just like, it was excessive. It was like, do we really need that? Yes, we do. Because it's the King of Kings. I can't wait to build another building and get a little excessive. And somebody say, couldn't you give that to the poor? Yeah, but he's the king. Come on. I've heard people say, yeah, well, that church building is so beautiful, but they don't do anything for the poor. We'll do something for the poor. Like, like they're not going to miss out, but the king gets first. And I want the next building to be the most beautiful structure built in Abbotsford. And I'll go for all of Canada, too. (laughs) Come on. We're not just going to build something with four walls and say, there you go, thank you, God. He deserves, it should be excessive. Do you know, David here also, after this, he says, by the way, Solomon, I'm going to give you of what I have. So he has 144 billion set aside through the treasury, through his kingdom. And he says, but personally, if you read First Chronicles 22, he said, personally, he says, I I gotta do something. And he gives roughly in the neighborhood of four billion. (laughs) And it says it actually was it took of him. He didn't just say, here's four billion. But it, it was like I'm doing this for the king. He was a little, do you really need gold doorknobs? Do you really need something up there plated in gold? Nobody sees it. They're all looking here. Do you really need, yes, you do when it comes to the king of kings. He deserves it all. And I'm putting you on notice when we build a building it's going to be excessive. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. You're going to pour into it too because when you read this, not only does David, I will pour into it. I'll be honest with you, I will. Pastor Nelson will. I'm not asking him to, I know he will. Pastor Daniel will. But when you read this story, David then gives the opportunity to everybody in Israel to give. And it says that they gave cheerfully and they were happy and they were excited and they got an opportunity to give to the king of kings. That is why we do not belittle our offering time. I will never belittle giving to God. And if you didn't get a chance to give enough this morning, we'll have a bag at the back and you can give some more. I'm serious. Do you not think he deserves it? I'm not trying to brag. or I'm just telling you, he deserves it. My worship to him has got to go up a couple notches and get a little more excessive. Don't disturb me. I'm worshiping. Hallelujah. Worship number four is extreme. Anybody here ever watch the X Games? Man, if that's not extreme, I don't know what is. I mean, these guys do stupid things. Things They put their life in peril. And then they get off and they laugh. And they call it the extreme games because it is extreme. There's nothing tame about it. And the disciples came to Jesus and they were talking to him and Pharisees came to him and they said, Can you tell us what the greatest law is? And he refers back to the Old Testament. This is not just a New Testament concept. This is something that God instituted from the start. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. He was extreme. My worship to him, it doesn't just involve waving my hands. My worship to him doesn't just do running on the spot. My worship to him doesn't just involve Sunday morning, 10.30 to 11.15. My worship to him is so extreme, it involves my whole being. And that's what he's saying here. When you worship him, when you love me and you worship me, it's going to cost you everything. Worship is costly. Do not think that worship is free or cheap. Worship costs you. But I also tell you that worship, it's worthy. I think sometimes we think Christianity is a casual relationship. No, it's a, it's a costly relationship. It cost him everything, and I give him everything. Worship is extreme. He didn't just say, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, but your thoughts and your mind and everything else, pff, you guys just, that's okay. I just, I, just, I just want this. I'm here to tell you, God wants every ounce of, Of you. It says in Exodus that he is a jealous God. In fact, in Exodus 34, verse 14, if you want to write that down, because that it says worship the God because his name is jealous. Have you ever met a jealous person? You don't have to raise your hands. But jealous people make me scared. They freak me out. Because when they get jealous, it's like, ration? (laughs) Forget it. Do you know what they did to me? They stole my friend. (laughs) And I'm going to make life miserable. I'm going to poke every tire. I'm going to put a knife in every tire. And next Sunday, I'm going to do it again. I mean, jealous people... I'm talking people here, we get, it's irrational. It's like, do you realize what you did? No, I was in a jealous rage. <laughs> Any, anybody ever heard, I'm not, I'm not asking you to commit or admit to something, but anybody ever heard a comment like that? Why did you, I was jealous of them because they had all the good stuff. God is jealous for you. Now, he doesn't do mean things, but what that means is it's, he is jealous. Oh, he wants you. He wants you. He is passionate for you. He's not just like, oh, that's David. Oh, well. No, he's like, that's David. I love him. I mean, he loves me. In fact, there's a, per- a verse in the Bible. I don't know if I put it in my notes here. I don't think I did, but it says that the king, we were to bow and worship the king because he desired our beauty. (laughs) He is passionate for us, but he looks at you and he says, you are beautiful, full of beauty, and that's why I want you to worship. God doesn't look at you and go, oh, what was I thinking there? That's not God. God looks at you and goes, oh, 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 that one's good. That one is like, oh, good. That's the best. Oh, but that one's the best too. Oh, that one's, man, they're all the best. Yeah. God is extreme. God is extreme. This morning, our worship, It hit elements of extreme. I was like tickled because I got to preach and it was happening. I mean, I've preached before and I'm going, Lord, help me. But this was like, oh, God, you better tie me back a little bit because I might get a little going. But worship, worship. Can you imagine worshiping him in an extreme manner? Wow. Man, I'm not just here. I'm not, oh, God. I'm going to shout all that I've got. We do it at the hockey game. People come back from hockey games, and they can't speak. Where were you? I was cheering on the Canucks. Can you imagine Monday morning going to work? Where were you? I was worshiping my king. What happened to you? Man, I mean, he scored a touchdown. <laughs> it's like, man, did he ever do it awesome? Awesome. He took it from the end zone, and he ran all the way, and he knocked on every single person in the way, and he scored a touchdown, and then he spiked the ball, and I just screamed with everything in me. Are you? Am I passing on a little bit of passion this morning? Our worship, our worship, solid rock. People are going to walk into this building, and they're going to go. <laughs> extreme. (laughs) They're going to walk in here and go, "Ah, I'm not too sure. We're worshiping the king. And I would suggest to you and I would submit to you that he is worthy of every ounce of strength that I have. And I cannot, I cannot get too extravagant. I cannot exaggerate him more than he's worthy of it. I I better look up here. I cannot be too excessive. And I certainly can't be extreme enough in my worship. And this morning it was powerful.